is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. So, um, as, as Ray's already mentioned about Cambodia, it's fantastic to be able to partner in in the work that the Lord is doing there in such, in such a different land um, and that he has called us to be a blessing to that nation is, is a fantastic privilege to be part of. And, and in a similar way, he's called our church to be um, a blessing to other churches. And, and so that's what Graham and Sarah are doing uh, today as, as Graham goes down to uh, preach at King's Church in Leicester. And that's the church that initially planted us into Derby. And, and so as, as they resourced us and, and supported us as, as we kind of established a lot of the um, life of, of Jubilee, um, which took, took years, um, they were they were supporting us for that time, and and now God's able to to uh, use us also as a as a blessing for them, and for Cambodia. So so I mean the Lord is at work in in a great way um, all over this world, whether it's thirty minutes down the M1 or I don't even know how many hours. Susan, how many hours does it take to get to Cambodia? So. So it, whether it's 30, 30 minutes down the M1 or whether it's 13 hours in, in a plane, the Lord is at work in, in, in the whole earth because this, this world is his and everything in it. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. And one day, the whole earth will sing with his glory and will, will resound with his glory and will recognize just how wonderful the Lord is. And that's what we're working towards right now. So I don't know what Graham's going to be preaching on this morning at Leicester, um, but he kind of had a preach in the bag from last week. I don't know if you realize we're in the middle of a sermon series on 1 and 2 Samuel, looking at the life of David. And uh, last week, if you turned up expecting to hear that, uh, instead, you would have heard um, uh, Graham speak on the coming of the Holy Spirit as, we, as it was Pentecost. He felt God prompt him to do that. And, and uh, in, in that process, as we were praying for people, and we, we also saw um, two people get, get to know Jesus as well last week, which is just wonderful, isn't it? it just, God is at work 30 minutes down the, down the M1, across the other side of the world, and right here, changing people's lives in, in this room or wherever we meet him, because he is phenomenal. He is phenomenal. So therefore today we might be kind of jumping ahead a little bit in uh, 1 and 2 Samuel, well in 1 Samuel, Uh, we've probably uh, jumped ahead a little bit further than perhaps where where the the story would have taken us in this series, Um, but that's okay. We're going to maybe just get our bearings a little bit. Uh, before we set off on this journey to have a look at one of the most fundamental aspects of, of God, which is his holiness. 
and we're going to be thinking about his holiness, how that relates to us, and this is a massive thing. So, dads, if you had a breakfast prepared for you today, um, I hope it was, uh, you know, three wheat at minimum to keep up with what we've got to cover today. Uh, full English would be ideal. So, so um, get, get ready for it. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray because we've got a lot to cover. Lord, you alone are holy. And you tell us to be holy because you are. Lord, would you help us to understand what it means for you to be holy? Would you help us to understand what we should do about it? Lord, would you help me as I speak? Let these be your words. And help us as we honour you by listening and, and seeking to understand more of your holiness. Lord, would you, would you reveal something of yourself to us this morning? In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So, let's get our bearings with David. Where are we up to? Um, uh, let, let me just give you a brief synopsis of, of this guy. He's, um, he's the eighth son of a chap called Jesse who lived in Bethlehem. And uh, he grew up looking after his dad's sheep. Um, and that gave him a lot of spare time. Uh, well, a lot of time on his own, uh, which he spent in praise and worship to the Lord. He chose to spend that time on his own with the Lord. And so one of David's great legacies is that actually he wrote a ton of songs. Most You can read a whole load of them in the book of Psalms. Uh, and we use a lot of them as the basis of our worship songs um, today. So, so he is a worshipper at heart. Um, one of the things that he would have had to do in his life as a, as a shepherd was uh, defend the flock from wild animals and, um, and so we read of him defending his flock against uh, lions and, and bears. Um, now the king of Israel at this time is a chap called Saul. He's going a bit off piste um, and Samuel who's the prophet, the head prophet in Israel is it recognizes this and follows God's prompting to find, to seek out and anoint the person who would be the next king of Israel. So he turns up in Bethlehem at Jesse's house and sees all of the most eligible, strong sons of Jesse that would likely be king. And the Lord says, about every single one, about all seven that he's seen. Not this one, not this one, not this one. This is a bit embarrassing for Samuel. And, and he says, uh, Jesse, have you got any more sons? And Jesse's saying, well, yeah, if you want an exhaustive list, there's the wee lad out in the fields who's looking after the sheep right now. But you know, seriously, you want him? Yeah, bring him here. And Samuel sees him. The Lord confirms it to Samuel. And so Samuel anoints David there and then in readiness to be the king of Israel, which doesn't happen for, for many years later. Now, this time also Israel was in a fight, in a battle with the Philistine people. And so David still as a, as a shepherd boy is, is taking uh, some provisions, some foods to his brothers who are fighting on the front line. And actually they're not really doing much, uh, much fighting because... Um, 
the Philistines have this champion, this massive, massive guy called Goliath. And he comes out and taunts the, the Israelites and says, look, let's keep this simple. Let's just do a man on man. You send out one person to, to fight me, the big champion of the Philistine people, and we'll, and we'll say whoever wins that wins the whole battle. And the Israelites are kind of paralyzed with fear about, well, what should we do about this? And, and one of the, David's visiting and says, why is no one standing up to this? This guy's insulting our God. And so he, he says two things. He says, one, I know God is, I know God. I know that he's with me. And he's, he says something else. Well, I've, I've defended my flock from lions and bears. I'll have a go at this grizzly guy. And so David fights him, defeats him. Israel love him because of it. Saul recognizes he's amazing because God is with him. Actually, he's pretty scared by this. The king is kind of scared by this, this young lad who is now a great military champion. And, and so um, David ends up, marrying his da- ends up marrying Saul's daughter and, and Saul wants to have him killed because actually the threat to Saul's throne from David is becoming ever greater. And so we find David now on the run, on the run from the king who's trying to kill him. And he turns up at, he, spent, he spends a bit of time at, um, with Samuel in Samuel's kind of prophetic school. And then, we, and then we find him at the tabernacle, at the place where God meets his people, where God dwells with his people. And he turns up and talks to the priest. And so this is in Samuel 21. Sorry, 1 Samuel 21. And so David, David turns up. And the priest, Ahimelech, um, trembles when he meets him and says, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? You're, you're Israel's military top dog, anointed to be king poster boy, and you're here on your own, David. Why? Why are you here on your own? We'd kind of like to look after you. And David answers Ahimelech the priest, uh, the king has sent me on a. He, he's charged me with a with a mission. He sent me on a mission and said to me, "No one's to know anything about this um, mission. It, it's a big secret um, and that I'm sending you on." And as for my men, um, yeah, I've got some. They're, they're, I've arranged to meet them at a certain place. Uh, so anyway, have you got any food? I'm, I'm hungry. Get, uh, give, give me five loaves or, or whatever you've got to hand. So there are, the, there are these white lies, these, these lies that David comes out with in order, to, uh, in order to protect himself. Do you, do you know, I think I probably, if I was on the run from death, if I was on the run from someone trying to kill me, I think I'd be tempted to tell some lies too and probably big fat ones really, to save me. Um, so never mind the little white lies. But he was also probably trying to protect Ahimelech from things that he didn't really need to know as well. Um, 
things that could get him into trouble. So Ahimelech answers David and he says, I don't have any ordinary bread. I do, however, have some consecrated bread here. There is some consecrated bread. Now, this isn't the kind of difference between like caffeinated and decaffeinated coffee. Yeah, this is, this is quite a significant difference. And, and we're going to explore what that means later. So that, that's, we're going to examine these verses and we're going to see what um, Ahimelech goes on to do. Um, so there is, there is this dishonesty that David comes up with. And uh, I'm, I'm not saying I can really blame the guy for it, actually. But despite getting his needs met in this situation, his lies are not inconsequential. That actually, if you uh, later on, re- read, on to the, read on to the next chapter, and you'll see that the consequences of David's dishonesty are a murderous devastation upon Ahimelech and the tabernacle and all the priests and their families and their animals and the, the surrounding town. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a cultural devastation for Israel, really, as well. So, it, it, so David's little lies do have massive, massive consequences. Um, uh, but in the moment, his needs are met. Um, a while ago, we had um, John and Val over for dinner, and um, it was just a it was just a basic meal. In fact, I think we we had me and Jenny had arranged to go out later that evening, and they were coming over to babysit. And we said, "Oh, come over for dinner first. And um, it was a pretty basic meal, pizza, really, and we serve it up, and uh, and. Pizza totally laden with cheese that I'd, I'd literally just picked up about half an hour before. And, uh, and I realised then that John doesn't eat dairy. <laughs> and I said, well, I've got some salad. <laughs> I guess you won't really be wanting the cheesecake that we've got for pudding. Um, and he dealt with it incredibly graciously. Um, I haven't actually seen someone eat as much spinach as that uh, before, uh, and it's been too long, really, and we should have you over for a dairy-free meal at some point uh, soon. Um, but this was, this was the food that we had to hand, and it was something that John couldn't eat. It would have made him ill. Um, and even that isn't quite, isn't quite the same idea as this difference between ordinary bread and consecrated bread that we read about in 1 Samuel. You see, Ahimelech is caught in this situation. This amazing guy turns up and he's hungry. So hospitably, he's got a duty to him anyway. David is so hungry, he shamelessly mentions it within the first five minutes of being there. He's like, hi, Emelette, how's it going? Oh, I'm hungry. You got any food? So, so there was, there's this, he, he's straight on to, he's on the run. He, he can't just turn up, at, turn up at people's villages and ask for food he, he, because he will be recognized. 
and people will find him and, and kill him because of it. So he's got to be, re- he's got to be super careful. And, but, so here is a hungry David, and Ahimelech hasn't got any ordinary bread in. Whatever the business that David is on is important. Whether or not Ahimelech knows that he's being lied to, it's very distracting for David. Yeah, so so it's it he can see that to look after David, there's got to be that there's got to be something happen, and he's got this holy bread, this consecrated bread. It's sometimes called the bread of the presence or the show bread. And what would be wrong with offering David that? Because is it? Hmm. If you turned up and said, well, I haven't got any ordinary bread, but I've got the bread of the presence, I'd feel like I was in a Marks and Spencer's advert if you said <laughs> This isn't just bread. This is... Uh, as far as I know, the showbread didn't have like sun-dried tomatoes and honey-coated sunflower seeds on the top. The showbread was a very big deal, and it was about being holy. See, in Exodus, when the Lord gives the Ten Commandments, okay, really massive deal for, for uh, his people, um, and he sets up some orders and directions and, and rules on how you do how you do worship and, and sacrifice. Um, so part of this was how to set up a tabernacle, a bit like a temple. Um, and, and at this point, it was a tent. It had very definite borders around it to keep it separate from the normal life of the camp of Israel in the desert. And um, nothing about normal life could make it inside to the tabernacle. Because the tabernacle had to be kept separate. It had to be kept holy. There could be no sin coming in to the tabernacle. So any aspect of normal life which even could lead to sin, they're just like, you're not even getting through the door. Okay? Um, It had to be kept thoroughly separate. In... In the tabernacle itself, there was, this, there was this holy place where the kind of the main activity happened and sacrifices would be brought to atone for or pay for the, the sin of the people. And, and then, aside from the holy place, there was a veil, a thick veil separating the holy place from the most holy place, which was where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where God's presence with his people on this earth was. It was a very powerful place. And very occasionally a priest who is a a holy person who had been set apart, would, and they would do all the sacrifices and things in, in the holy place, very occasionally one would be allowed in, the chief priest would be allowed into the most holy place. And it was so holy that should he die in the presence of the Lord, that he would, have all, he would have gone in with a rope tied around him so that the other priests could hoik out the body without having to go in themselves. Because it was such an, and I mean this, awesome and terrifying experience to be with 
the presence of the Lord. There was no sin could be in that place whatsoever. Any, anyone going in had to be utterly set apart, utterly holy. So we're getting the sense of what holiness is. We're getting the sense of it's kind of, it, it means to be set apart. It also means to honour God. And so the, the Bible says this in Revelation, says, only you are holy, Lord. Only God is holy. Let me make this really clear. Just by saying it again, only God is holy. Everything else that we talk about as being holy is holy by association with the most holy God. Whether it's the Holy Bible, whether it's Holy Communion, All of these things are only holy by association with the Lord. When Isaiah has a vision of the Lord and he sees him seated on the throne and the angels around him are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole earth is filled and burdened with the weight of of his glory is kind of what it means. And they didn't say holy, holy, holy because they had a stutter or they were thinking, oh, what other ways could we describe God? Holy, holy, holy. The, the, way, the reason they repeated it was the way that the Hebrew language went, holy, holier, holiest. There is nothing holier than this. It, it might seem odd. It might seem quite un, un-British. To say, well, only God is holy. And oh yeah, I can get that he's set apart, but he's all about seeking his own honour as well. That seems a bit egotistical. That's the very nature of God. If God was to say, well, actually, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty holy, but there's this, other, there's this other guy that's holier than me. He wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be all-powerful. He wouldn't be the most holy. So God is not going to make apologies for seeking his own honour and encouraging you to do the same because actually you are at your most fulfilled when he is most honoured in your life. You are at your... You are doing what you were designed to do, which is recognizing him and being in a relationship with him and knowing that there is nothing higher than him. There is no throne greater than him. There is no love deeper than his. Only he sits on that throne. Only he sits on that throne. Holy, holy, holy. The most holy. Everything else is by association. So if it's places, you know, who can ascend the hill of the Lord where he was dwelling? Well, the place was only holy because God was there. You know, when, when, when Moses meets God at the burning bush and, and God says, uh, take your, sort your feet out, Moses. You, 
on holy grounds, they stink. Your sandals do. Take your sandals off, you're on holy ground. The ground was just sand, but God was there. It was just sand and rock, but God was there. There was nothing inherently holy about that rock apart from its association with God being there. The most holy. So, there was this bread, this holy bread, this bread of the present. And alongside how to build a tabernacle and the worship, and the worship that should occur there and the, the sacrifices that should occur, there was this special table that was to be built in the tabernacle. And on it were to be placed 12 loaves of bread. And the Lord says, have them there always before me. Not that they would like, go off eventually. Yeah? They would always be replaced. But constantly present this bread to me. And actually it was the way of sustaining the priests during their ministry of, in the tabernacle. It was what they would have to actually keep themselves going. It was, it was life-sustaining for the priest that was in the tabernacle and serving in that way. And so the chief priest of Israel is now presented with this conundrum. What should he do? There's this hungry guy turning up, but he's not a priest and he's not holy enough. He's not set apart enough to come in, to, uh, to come in and eat this bread. He is presented with this big conundrum. What should he do? Giving him food would be helpful. It would be hospitable. But you would be breaking the rules. He would be, and, and he wouldn't want to. He, this is a guy that honours God, and he's staring down the barrel of a P45 right now if he, sa- if he says, yeah, go on, have the bread. This is, this is his whole purpose potentially at stake. What would he do? Is he going to honour, is he going to help out this guy who's a natural worshipper who would probably be a way better king than, than Saul? Would he help, is he going to help him? Everything about the priest was holy. He was totally set apart. He had special clothes. And the holiest adornment that he had was something that he had around his wrist. Inscribed in it were five characters. WWJD, question mark. What would Jesus do? I'm just messing. That, this was a thousand years before Jesus. Ahimelech isn't, con- isn't consulting. Well, what would Jesus do? This is going to help me out in a tricky situation. WJD, WWJD bracelets are fantastic. They're brilliant in terms of helping you to make good decisions. If they remind you to get into a habit of making good decisions, helping you to make a decision that doesn't lead you into sin, that does honour God, then it, can, then it can help you make holy decisions. But wearing a bracelet doesn't make you holy. Putting it on doesn't make you holy. The ground that Moses met uh, the Lord on 
wasn't holy, it was only holy by association, that a bracelet would just help you make those decisions. So Ahimelech couldn't consult Jesus. What would he do? Because his earthly ministry was a thousand years later. However, in years to come, Jesus would be challenged on how he approached the Sabbath, how he approached the rules around worship and and a day of rest. For generations in Egypt, the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, had been oppressed. They had been enslaved and worked into the ground. And God rescued them and saved them out of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness with the purpose of them knowing him, them meeting him. And, And so there's this process of them getting to know what is it like to be a people of God. And he sets down these boundaries. He says, look, working is good. Working is good. It's important. But so is rest. And you need to get that balance right. You need to, let's, you need to look at God's example. How he, let, let's take his example in creation. From the very initiation of the world, there was this rhythm. Work, 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 work. And rest. Enjoy it. That was the rhythm that God had set out. We are made in God's image. And we're not meant to be working all the time. Neither are you made to be lazy all the time. Actually, resting isn't lazy. If you are resting and enjoying God's presence. And so God is being, when he talks about the Sabbath for the first time, he is strict. He says, you will obey So you will observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between you, between me and you for generations to come. So that you may know I am the Lord who makes you holy. See, the whole purpose of a Sabbath was not to have a rule about not working. Yeah, the, this, in, this included not going out to pick up manna, um, uh, the, the bread that the Lord, prov- the food that the Lord provided. Um, you, you wouldn't even go out and collect that on that day. Just rest. Because you, you'd have some ready from, from a previous day. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a rule about you need to follow this, that, this rhythm. And the rule is the important bit. It's you need to have a rest so that you can get to know me. Getting to know me is the most important part of why I've brought you out of Egypt. This is the most important part of who you are. This is the reason I made you. Get to know me. So the day itself, which we have as a Sunday, actually... In Jewish tradition, um, it's a it starts at evening on a on a Friday. The day itself is just a day. 
but the process of, we were given an opportunity to to spend time with the Lord. We we're given an opportunity to, for it to be holy by knowing Him. That the day becomes holy through association with us just saying, "Okay, I'm not focused on my work today. I'm all yours. I want to know you." And so. That undoubtedly has an impact on a community when a whole community is doing that together as well. So there's a, there is a challenge as well for not just observing a personal Sabbath and a personal rest day, but actually as a community, as a nation, actually having a day where the majority of us are resting and focused on the Lord is actually a, that's a, a real challenge in a, in a 24-7 culture. And Jesus is challenged on this rule. He's the, there were some people who knew a lot about rules in Jesus' time, Pharisees. And, and they're trying to pick holes in, they, they would see that Jesus was a threat. And they were trying to pick holes in what he was doing and he would, they would see that he would heal people on a Sabbath. Well, is, that, is that really legal to do on a I mean, because aren't you supposed to be resting? And Jesus replied to them, look, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made so that people can know God. And and if the power of God heals someone on the Sabbath, they're going to know him. You weren't made to be a slave to the rule of work and rest. You were made to know the Lord. That's the heart of the rule on the Sabbath. And, and, he, and Jesus was again confronted on, he, he was walking through the fields and picked up some, some heads of corn and just ate them on the way. <gasps> Jesus, what are you doing? You shouldn't be collecting food you, your, your ancestors didn't go out collecting food. You shouldn't be going out collecting food. And actually, at this point, it's almost like Jesus is wearing a WWAD bracelet. And he says, well, what would Ahimelech do? He actually said, he refers to this time. He says, look, David, hungry, turns up at the tabernacle and there's no ordinary food in. And what is Ahimelech going to do? He gives him the bread. Because if there's a choice to be made between sacrifice, this is what Jesus says. This is also what Hosea says. If there's a choice to be made between sacrifice and mercy, you show mercy. If, if the sacrifices in the tabernacle are to continue, but mercy is not there, mm, show mercy. Show mercy. Paul goes on to say, look, if you want to do all of this without love, then it's just like a resounding gong. There are loads of things 
that we consider to be holy. The front of my Bible here. My Bible. Says the Holy Bible. Set apart. Honouring God. Falling apart. (laughs) But. It's just paper. It's just words. I had friends at university who would, um, the, the Gideon Bible that, that was put in their room would just be used as a doorstop. It's just a book. Sure enough, God did not kill them for doing that. Because it's just a book. But it's a book full of the words of the Lord. That if you, if you open it up, if you, if you say, Lord, help me understand it, these words will get into your head. <laughs> they'll, get, they'll change your heart. The Holy Spirit will, will change you through them and, and you will end up making decisions that separate you from sin and honour God. If it was a holy Bible, you should be considering oh, how how best am I going to keep this you know this should be kept above all other books in the house or should it be not dropped on the floor when you're about to start worshipping that's just a book the words in it are the Lord's words they are holy not not the pages that we have Songs that we sing. I, I mean, we, it was an amazing time of worship today. Thank you. And some of these songs that we sing, they just help us worship so well. They help us see this holy God. They help us see the God of time and eternity who's reigning um, and in victory for the whole, for the whole time. They help us to understand that. God, is that a holy song? Well, if you played it in a different context, people it wouldn't make any difference to anyone, maybe. You know, I was talking with someone um, who was looking over my CD collection and said, oh, well, uh, oh, Switchfoot, what are they like? Uh, they're a Christian band, right? Yeah, but you couldn't sing their music in worship. Well, no. They're just songs... There's someone's songs written, recognize, you know, about everyday stuff, written recognizing the sovereignty of God and the love of Christ. Which is a bit like you, you wouldn't. Well, I mean, John Foreman from from that band, he he said, Jesus didn't die for my tunes. He did, I didn't write songs that Christ died for. Christ is more interested in what, am I feeding the poor? Am I looking after the oppressed? Not, is my song holy? So whether a song's written by a Christian band or it's written by um, a, or it's a worship song that we would sing in church. One isn't holier than the other. If it's if it's um, a piece of classical music, 
doesn't mean it's not holy. If to, to, it's just that some music will help you to worship. Some music will help you to honour God and maybe to set yourself apart from sin. That's what music might help to do. Bread and wine, we call that Holy Communion. But we were out buying stuff for communion the other day and we were in Tesco's and, and I had to get some, I got some wine and, some, and a non-alcoholic alternative. I was looking for grape juice and we stumbled across Umbongo. And Eva said, can we get Umbongo for communion? Please, can we get Umbongo for communion? I was like, no, no, there's grape juice right here. We're just going to go with the grape juice. Please, can we get Umbongo for... Actually, it wouldn't have made any difference. Umbongo is a, fr- is a fruit juice. It doesn't look very red. There was an amazing song about it on a commercial in the 80s. YouTube it, you'll love it. But it wouldn't make any... Because it's, it's just juice. Or it's just wine. It's just bread. That itself is not holy. It is the action that you do with it that is holy. And in fact, actually, it can be quite dangerous in, in, in a way. If you, if you take that wine and, and, um, and the bread and you haven't checked yourself, if you take it dishonestly, Paul says you're drinking judgment on yourself. So, so be careful. It's what you do with it. It's a symbol. The bread and the wine, actually, it's just bread and wine. When we got home, she, she accidentally smashed a bottle of wine on our floor. And actually, there was another bottle of wine in there as well. And it smashed all over the floor. And there was just this huge vapour of redness in the, in, the, in, the, in the room. We just had to, we had to clean it up. But you know what? what? We're not going to worry about it. It's not, it wasn't holy wine then. You know, it kind of probably made our room a bit cleaner because of it. But... But it wasn't like, it, it wasn't a ho- it, there was nothing holy about the liquid. It was what you do with it that counts. So, our pastor is away in Leicester today. Well, he's got a holy job. He's got a, a job that's set apart, that's holy. Well, actually, the Lord says in all that you do, do it for the Lord. Actually, my job isn't, my, my paid job isn't for the church. But, you know, I try to honour the, the Lord as much as, I, as much as I can where I am. In fact, a lot of letters open with that <laughs> to the believers in Colossae to the believers in Ephesus. Be, praise be to Jesus where you are. Where, whether you're working at the hospital or at Rolls Royce or you're signing on, praise be to Jesus. And do what you, do what you can to, be, to, to show him, to imitate his holiness, to be, to, to be salt and light in this world. This priest, Ahimelech, he gave the wine. Sorry, he gave the bread to David. We're beginning to wrap up now. 
this priest said, yeah, I can see you're hungry. Here, take this bread. Let me satisfy the need. I, but I'm confronted with this decision. Do I show, do, do I let the sacrifices continue? Or do I show mercy? I wonder, could, could the band come up and we're, we're going to respond to the Lord. You see, Ahimelech was a priest. He was set apart. He was a... He was set apart to be holy. And yet the, the showbread on the table, which was there to sustain him in his ministry, didn't sustain him eternally. He died. He isn't around now. Ahimelech died. The writer of the Hebrews points this out. Priests are just people. They're not holy apart from the fact that they are set apart. They are just people. They are not the most holy. We have a priest who is not Ahimelech. We have a priest greater than anyone else that has ever been able to go between you and God. Greater than anyone else that has ever been able to make a sacrifice on your behalf to get you right with God that has ever heard God's words and reflected them back to you. We have a priest who is greater than that and his name is Jesus. And confronted with a decision, should sacrifices continue or should mercy happen, where Ahimelech stumbled and said, well, I've got a compromise. I'll go with the mercy because that's more important. Jesus goes, we're going to have both. The sacrifice will happen and there will be mercy because I will make myself to be a sacrifice for you in mercy so that you can know the Father, that you can be made Holy, so that eventually, so that when the Lord says, "Be holy, because I am holy," this bread that was always before the presence of the Lord, Jesus now always appears before the Father, interceding for us, presenting us to Him to say, "Lord, Father, you know how acceptable and how amazing I am in Your presence." You, you know how I deserve to be here because I totally fulfilled the standard that you expected. That there was no sin ever found in me. Well, these are the people that I died for. If you look over my shoulder, you'll see them. And when you look on, when you look on me, see them as well and welcome them into your presence. And he eternally appears before the Father and says, these are the people I want in your presence, Father. And whoever may try to accuse them and say, well, you're not good enough. Father, 
know that they are adopted by my blood. If it's sacrifice or mercy, I'm fulfilling them both. So we're going to respond to the Lord. We're going to thank him for his holiness. We're going to respond with a song that talks about that and what we should do about it. So if you want to stand to your feet and as we sing these words, if there's, just let them, let them speak to your heart. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.